I want to talk to you for a little bit tonight about victory over reproach. If you would uh, turn to Philippians 2, I've got a couple of scriptures I want to look at. And um, this, this subject came to my attention the other day, and I realized for a long time I really didn't understand what reproach was. I didn't understand what it was about, what it meant. It's one of those words you read and you hear about, but, you know, not necessarily. I didn't feel like I had a real good grasp upon it. So we're going to look and see what the word says here in Philippians 2, 14. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How many of y'all think we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Okay, But we appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So what is he telling us here? He's talking about that we're in the middle of crooked, perverse generation. There's corruption everywhere. Really? <laughs> in your town? Really? <laughs> There's been some corruption everywhere. But it says that for us, though, that we are to live above reproach. You know, it seems that so many times we've got a lot of believers who are living right there being reproached by the very same things that the crooked and perverse people are being <laughs> reproached about. But the scripture is that you and I are to live above that. And if we think about that, what's it saying above reproach? If you're living above reproach, that means you live like Daniel. Daniel, his critics and his enemies could find no fault with him except in the worship of God. Isn't that right? You know, when I was a kid and I heard that story about Daniel, you know, the decree went out that nobody gets to worship, you know, except you know, can't worship God, you can't pray, you have to just to the king. Remember when that story came out? Well, not when the story came out, but you remember the story, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody's that old, right? But the story came out, okay. And so when I was a kid, I, I had wondered, well, why didn't Daniel just keep it quiet, you know, what he was doing? Why didn't he just, you know, go into his prayer closet and just hide instead of just throw the doors and the windows wide open and say, hello, I'm worshiping God. You know, why did he do that? And, you know, as a kid, I didn't know because I was thinking that was the way to keep from getting in trouble, right? But that was compromise. It was compromising who he was. And in the case of Daniel, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty remarkable that when you've got some people looking for some dirt on you, they can't find anything. How many of you know we're living in a time when people are actively looking for dirt on other celebrities and people of notoriety, right? You flip on the TV or the radio, somebody's found some dirt somewhere. Wouldn't that be something? If we lived such a life above reproach, the only thing they could complain about was that we worship God. That'd be pretty good. Nobody criticizing your driving. Should we stop and preach there? No. no. Nobody criticizing your emails, the tone you take with other people, how you treat your children. No, no, no criticism to live above reproach. And the thing is, if we talk about living above reproach, we understand those people in that crooked and perverse generation are looking to find fault, are looking to criticize, and are looking to judge. How many of you noticed that about people? Fault finders everywhere. You know, it seems like people, some people are not happy 
unless they had criticized, tore up, and found something wrong with everybody that day. And some people, it seems their whole mission for that entire day was to find something wrong with you, right? You probably work with some of those people, all right? Looking for something wrong. But this is the way they are, looking to find fault, criticize, and judge. You see, we can point, I mean, we can think just right now, I can think of people I know who are real quick to criticize, real quick to find fault, real quick. But you know what? Daniel wasn't like that. They couldn't find anything wrong with him except that he worshiped God because he lived above reproach. I believe Jesus is coming back for a church that's going to live above reproach. And they won't, have, they won't say, well, you're just a complainer, you're just a whiner, you're just a critic, you're just a judge. No, they'll say, we can't find anything wrong with this person except they sure do love God. All right? The scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians, let's flip over there quickly, 2 Thessalonians 3. Since we're instructed to live above reproach, you know, the Bible says that we do live in the world. We do live around human people. People who are not yet perfect in every way. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey, does not obey our instruction in this letter... Take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Unfortunately, we've got some brothers and sisters in Christ that act like the crooked and the perverse generation, right? Some people we know who live, who behave in ways that invite reproach. They live in a way, maybe they're a fault finder or a critic, or maybe they've got some huge glaring sin in their life they've not dealt with, but it's causing reproach to come upon them. So the scripture says, how are you and I supposed to treat those brothers and sisters who are living like this? Not to respond in kind. When they get sniping and bat, you know, backbiting, not to respond in kind, but it says to do not treat him as an enemy. It amazes me how many times Christians can become so critical and vocal against one another as though that person were the devil himself. And not understand this is your brother in Christ, somebody in your family on the same side. It says here that we are to treat him as a brother, to admonish him as a brother. Now you think about that, those of you who have a natural relationship with your brother, or maybe you've got another person in your life that you feel very close to like a brother. How are you going to treat him? You're going to treat him with respect for one thing, right? With loyalty. Brother, you know, you've heard the expression, you know, blood is thicker than water. What's that talking about? That means we stick together. We get through trouble. Trouble doesn't divide us. We pull together and we figure it out, right? To treat one another with loyalty, with honesty. Your brother will tell you the truth. How many of you ever had your brother tell you the truth, right? And a lot of times nobody else will tell you, but you, your brother will tell you. They'll tell you the truth. But from a position of support and a position of encouragement, not trying to destroy and tear you apart, but saying, look, buddy, I'm on your side. Let me help you here. Let's not live in a place of reproach, but let me come alongside and let me help you. Treating a brother with loyalty and support and honesty also means 
in this verse in 15, admonishing, which is confrontation. And confrontation does not mean just going there, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Buddy, you need all the mind parts you got. You need to keep them all, right? Don't give them away. <laughs> yeah, don't give away your mind, you know. Keep that good sense, you know, confront. But to confront in a way that's after reconciliation, that's after restoration. Not to, some people confront by cutting them off at the knees. Yeah. Ever had that happen? I have. I mean, just cut off at the knees. It's like that doesn't work towards anything set me bleeding more. Right. We're after reconciliation and, and, rest, and restoration. But do you know that some Christians go the other side. Instead of cutting off the knees, they don't say anything. They just pray. Y'all, that's being a coward. Come on. It's being a coward. Because, you know, I'm telling the truth, though. It's the truth. Because you know what? It's not fun to confront and if you think it is fun, you need to go repent and get broken, okay? It's not fun to go to somebody and say, I need to talk to you like a brother. We need to make a change here. I need to show you something that you're doing, something you're allowing to happen. And so there are people who, through, who have been cowards. Well, we'll just pray about it. We'll just pray about it. You know what? That's not treating somebody like a brother. You know, a real friend is somebody who knows all about you, and loves you anyway. Anybody perfect here? Only Jesus, right? Anybody being conformed to the image of Jesus? Yes. Amen. You know, one of the things I think that um, is a, a misunderstanding, sometimes we talk about, well, people need to grow up. I've said that, hadn't you? They just need to grow up. And yeah, people need to grow up. But sometimes we get the idea that you hit 21, you hit 30, or whatever age you hit, and you have become grown up and you don't need to grow anymore. Do you know that's a fallacy, right? I'm still growing up. If you and I are not still growing up, we have stopped growing. Because until we see Jesus, we've still got growing up to do even though you may be the most mature person on the face of God's green earth, right? You're still growing up into all things into Christ Jesus, amen? So when we're saying somebody else needs to grow up, we say, yeah, only because I've grown a little further than they have. But I still got some growing myself to do or this wouldn't bother me so much, right? <laughs> now, some people feel like that Jesus, you know, real Christians don't say anything. They just let it slide, you know. We just believe the best. We don't address stuff. I've already said that's being a coward. You know what? There was a time when Jesus confronted the disciples. And in Matthew, excuse me, in Mark 16, it was right after the resurrection and he had appeared to folks, and the disciples got wind of it and didn't believe him. You crazy lady. You must have been imagining things. That wasn't Jesus. That wasn't Je I don't believe it. Nobody does. I, you know, they were critical. They didn't believe. Jesus appeared to the disciples, and the Bible says he upbraided them. That means he chewed their butt. For what? For unbelief and hardness of heart. You know, that's the only thing that you're going to find Jesus still fussing at you about is no faith. You know what? For everybody who thinks they're doing God favor by, oh, I'm such a worm. Oh, poor God, just please forgive me. You wouldn't do anything. You know what? That's a way to get chewed out. 
Because the Bible says when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what he's looking for is not whining and complaining, and especially not calling it prayer, right? But what he's looking for is faith. He's looking for is somebody going to believe that what he did had an effect and what he said in the word was true. So it says that he upbraided the King James, or the NAS says he reproached them. The purpose of this reproach was to bring repentance and cleaning, to cleanse them. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, it talks about wounds will cleanse the soul, uh, stripes that wound cleanse away evil. A wound that is meant not to, not to permanently damage, but a wound that is meant to bring cleaning, to bring repentance, you know. A little bit of an adjustment to get us going the right way. And I notice that right after Jesus gets through reproaching them, upbraiding them for their hardness of heart, he immediately after that then gives them a ministry assignment. I like that. I like that. The end of the conversation didn't stop with the rebuke. It says, okay, now that that's done, I have something for you to do. I love that, don't you? Hey, that makes getting the rebuke okay, right? It doesn't mean that we've been thrown away. It means that, okay, we heard it, we received it, make an adjustment, and then God still believes in us. God still believes there's something else that we can do. Hallelujah. Let's turn to James chapter, chapter 1. In effect, what Jesus did was say, go and sin no more. Fussed them out for no faith, fussed them out for hardness of heart, and then said, now i got work for you to do. Because you know what? It's going to take faith. Those guys were going to have to believe God to accomplish the ministry that he had given them, right? Because he has sent them out to take the world. He has sent them out to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out, you know, all that stuff, right? So they're going to have to have faith and get over all the insecurity and get over all the fear and all the anxiety and all the unworthiness. Do you know that if you feel unworthy, you will not be a person of faith? You can't have powerful faith and feel unworthy. And it's one of the devil's favorite tactics is to get you sidelined into unworthiness. Because then you're not good for anything. Who am I? You call it humility. That's not humility. You know what humility is? It's believing that what the Bible says about you is true. I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the apple of his eye. That's not pride. That's humility because it's what the Bible says. It is pride to argue with that and say, I'm just a lowly worm. I mean, no, that's called false pride. It's not real, it's, it's not real humility. In James 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. King James says, and upbraids not, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. So, Jesus reproached the disciples for unbelief. And so, we're cautioned here in James that if you're faced with a situation and you don't know what to do, you don't know know what to do, what does it say? It says to ask in faith. 
and if you don't know how to solve your problem, you need some wisdom. It says, ask of faith, in faith, and it says that the Lord is going to give you generously what you ask for without reproach. That means without criticism, without disapproval, without shame, without disgrace, without blame. You know what, I think many of us were raised in a situation, if it wasn't within our home, then it was probably within church environment or extended family or school somewhere. I think that most people have experienced when they were growing up having been reproached. You know, maybe that you didn't know how to solve the algebra problem or you didn't know how to get that basket through the net or you didn't know how to properly make your bed or you didn't understand whatever and maybe you made a mistake and maybe you you made a mess and you did something wrong and when you came back and you said I'm sorry you didn't get a gracious response but you got well if you listen to me I told you so you know, that's what reproach is. Reproach says, I told you so. Y'all know when I, rev- when I got that revelation the other day, I mean, a light turned on. How many times I had gone, I thought, oh, I've screwed up again. And almost anticipating hearing that voice, you stupid idiot. You knew better than that. I told you so. You know, that's not the Lord. That is not the Lord. I had a vivid illustration of this one time. I watched a, a uh, father, and he was, he was dealing with a couple of young boys. They weren't his sons, but they were friends of his. And they were, having to, they were doing a task that they had never done before, teenage boys. He was, they were kind of helping out. And they didn't understand how to do it. I mean, you know, grown men know how to do some things around the house that teenagers don't necessarily, Right. So they didn't know what they were doing, but they were trying to follow instructions. And they were, you know, being a little bit clumsy, a little bit unwieldy with it. Do you know the guy did not get in there and chew them out? Instead, as a father, he began to give them kind instruction. He didn't criticize him and voice disapproval because you idiot, you about did this or you made a mistake. Instead, he said, if you'll just do it this way, it'll be okay. You're doing fine. Folks. We need to have a revelation that when you and I don't know how to solve a problem, we don't know how to get a miracle done, we've done the best we've known how, it looks like failure, we still don't know what's going on. Instead of expecting to hear a voice of disapproval or a voice of blame or I told you so, the Bible says the Lord will give us an answer liberally and upbraid not and not reproach. Has anybody besides me ever been surprised by the mercy of God? Surprised? I mean, just felt like, I got it coming. I know, I know I got it coming. <laughs> I messed up big time. I got it coming. And yet, humbled because he was merciful and kind. And I really feel like that we need a revelation of mercy. You know, mercy means you don't get what you deserve. You know, sometimes when we were in that situation as a kid growing up and and if we said you know I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't mean to our apology was not really accepted our apology was grudgingly taken well whatever you always do that some of us heard that sort of thing growing up 
you know, and there was continual complaints and reminders about our failings and shortcomings. You know, that's what conditional love does. Conditional love doesn't love you completely. It loves you as long as you perform properly. And since that's what we grew up with, that's what we know, and we tend to think that God's the same way. But God, even prophetic word and music and everything tonight, what did God say about the love of God? It's an unconditional, it's an infinite love that we don't have a way of getting to the depths of it. See, conditional love caused you and me to grow up with a wound in our heart and grow up with a deep uncertainty that the next time I make a mistake, maybe I won't get approved of. And many of us were raised up in churches that taught those kinds of things, weren't we? Yes, we were. Many of us were raised up in church that you got your helping of condemnation served every Sunday morning. Isn't that right? Beat up, you know. You felt it was good church service if you cried a lot because you were beat up a lot, you know. <laughs> Some people feel they hadn't been to church unless they feel really condemned. You know what? Mercy surprises us. And since we've been surprised to receive mercy, many times we're not in the habit of extending mercy because we've not received it. If we're used to receiving disapproval and blame and criticism, then we know if somebody else, when they screw up and they mess a mistake, what's the response out of our heart? You idiot, moron, I told you. You know, if you just do what I said, That's engaging in reproach, folks. And we're especially not to do that with brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? If they made a mistake, because you know what? I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. If we've made a mistake, chances are really good. We're going to know it real fast. <laughs> On some level, there's times as soon as I opened my mouth, I thought I should have kept my mouth shut. There's times I knew it. I knew it as soon as I said it, as soon as I did it. Other times it wasn't until later I said, well, you know, live and learn. That was a big mistake. One thing I have learned is that God's all about the process. And God is okay with us learning. He's okay with us learning. You know, we watch, you know, little, chi little children trying to learn how to ride a bike for the first time. You know, and... They want so bad to learn. They want to be like the big kids and go run. You know, maybe you can remember your experience of that. And maybe you had your dad or mom, you know, run alongside you and help and give you a good shove. Or you had training wheels or something. You had somebody to kind of help and support you and get you going really, really fast, you know, so you kind of stay, stay up. But did anybody fall down when they were learning to ride a bike? Of course we did. Of course. Y'all, I never did learn to roller skate. <laughs> but, you know, it's like some things, I mean, I decided just it wasn't worth it for me. But, but riding a bike, I mean, I do remember falling down a few times. But you know what? The thing was, my mom, my dad didn't criticize me for falling down. They said, that's okay. Get back up. That's okay. Get back up. Folks, that's what family does. That's okay. Learn from it. Get back up. There's more for you to do. Jesus has an assignment for you to complete, right? And if you need some healing, you need some deliverance, whatever you need, but get back up. 
I think there are too many Christians that are sitting on the sidelines having disqualified themselves from doing anything for God. God's like, come on, we got stuff to do. I'm unworthy. You know, no. Get over it. Let's let, let's let God forgive us. How do you know that God has commanded us to forgive, right? We read that in the Bible, right? Do you think he is really good at forgiving? I think he's really good at it because he does it all the time, right? He's really good at it. So <laughs> the cross has paid for our sin. Let God forgive you and forgive yourself. He's really good at it. Amen. He's, he's used to extending forgiveness. You're not the first person to ask, not even today. Okay. He's used to it. Tell you, this is, this is deep heart beliefs. See, people don't consciously think like this, but the, it's, out, it's out of heart. That's where these issues come, right? It's in the heart deep inside. Well, I don't think I dare because, hey, he's already forgiven a million people today. Okay? He's good at it. He made the provision for it because he knew he was good at it. Because he knew we needed it. Before he created any of us, he said, those people are going to need lots of forgiveness. <laughs> Didn't he? So what did he do? The Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, right? Because he knew before you were born, you were going to screw up a lot. Some of it intentionally, just out of sheer orneriness. <laughs> right? And some of it just because you didn't know any better. But he knew you were going to do it, so he made provision for it anyway. And he knew what he was getting into, and he's not taking it back. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. All right, y'all. If those disciples had sat around in condemnation, they'd probably still be sitting. How do you know condemnation makes you stuck? It gets you stuck. You don't need to be stuck. Get forgiven. Move on. You, because condemnation makes you afraid. Afraid that God's not going to be there. Afraid that you know, it's not going to work. That God won't stand there and, and work with you. Let's get some victory over some reproach. I've got a couple of things, suggestions for you. Number one is get in the habit of sowing mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know what? When that guy cuts you off on the way home tonight. <laughs> so mercy. When the checkout ga gal is a little bit short. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you something that happened to me uh, last night or night before, I forget. I stopped at the grocery store and while I'm standing in line waiting the lady in front of me she's got a couple of teenage girls with her and she's wrapping up and she's about to leave and you know there's been quite a few people the cashier is obviously a little tired and a little you know from the day and when this woman is gathering up her receipt and putting her things away she turns to the cashier and she says yes I did find everything I needed and I will have a nice evening thank you <laughs> I thought whoa and the cashier looked at me, and I looked at her, and I just kind of, you know. And then when she decided I was safe, she decided to vent a little bit to me. You know, but I thought, 
lady, that was so self-righteous. It was not merciful. It was not compassionate. Have you ever had a job where you had to deal with the public for eight or ten hours a day? Everybody who has say, yes, I have, and I know. <laughs> you know what? What that cashier needed was a little kindness, was a little mercy. But before we get too harsh on her, what about showing mercy to the one that mouthed off? Sometimes it's hard to show mercy to those people, right? I feel sorry for her. I feel like she's one of those people that reminds me of what Jesus said. They'll become people that think they kill you and do God a service. Self-righteous feels like she set somebody straight. What kind of bondage is that to have to live and feel like you need to set everybody straight? You see what? We have mercy from on both ends, can't we? If we start developing a habit of sowing mercy... Now, mercy sometimes means I come to you and tell you, now, Vicki, we need to talk, okay? Because sometimes that's mercy, because that's what a brother will do, will come and tell you something that sometimes nobody else will. They're the ones that tell you you've got spinach between your teeth, right? <laughs> they're the ones, I mean, and many times they're not very, you know, tactful about it. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to sow mercy, including to all those people who have reproached us. You know, we get reproached for things that are our fault and are not our fault. We get reproached for being Christians. I get reproached for being female in ministry. We get reproached for being charismatic. We get reproached for being whatever, you know. Some things are our choice, some things are not. So we want to sow mercy to even those who reproach us. You know, if you make a stand for anything, somebody will not like it. And they'll probably mouth off to somebody else about it. Yeah. So we're going to sow mercy. Right? And then also we're going to accept mercy. Accept mercy. Let God treat you with mercy. I had an appointment a couple days ago. And the gal had been... Um, she had misread the appointment book, and so she, had, she was running about 15 minutes late. And when she realized her mistake, she was so apologetic. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I can't believe I was so stupid to look at it. And I said, you know, it's all right. She says, well, not to worry. You know, I'll get you out in time. I says, it's okay. And it really was, it's okay. I says, all right. And so a couple minutes later, she said, I just can't believe I was so stupid. I just feel so awful about that. I said, I forgive you. Would you forgive yourself? And that was the last she said of it, you know? She was feeling so bad because she had disappointed me and let me down. But you know what? I let her off the hook. Let her off the hook, and that way she didn't have to feel the rest of her day just feeling like a failure and, you know, let people off the hook sometimes, right? It cuts people some slack sometimes. So we're going to accept mercy. Sow mercy and accept mercy. When people want to forgive you, let them. <laughs> when God wants to forgive you, let him. Amen. And then live in faith. Sow mercy, accept mercy, and live in faith. And by this I mean live as though God is actually on your side. The Bible teaches that, right? The Lord is our helper. The Lord's on our side. So let's live like he's actually on my side. Not, 
our collective side, but how about my individual side? Is the Lord on your side? All right, let's live like he's on my side, on my team, pulling for me. Let's act like the blood was enough. You don't have to do penance. The blood was enough to wipe out your sin. Let's act like the blood really did cleanse it. It really did remove it. Really. Really. You confess it is gone. Hallelujah. Let's act like the blood actually did give you a place of favor and a position with God. The right hand of majesty, the Bible says, right? Let's act like it's true. Like we actually got a position of favor. Not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, right? But according to his kindness. And let's live in faith like God had already planned and made provision for our mistakes and our sins. He'd already prepared for it. You know, we live in a place where they have hurricanes. And about every March, they send out the word, get your hurricane preparedness kit together, right? Go stock up on batteries and water and all this stuff that they tell you to do. Why do they tell you to do that? Because there's a chance coming that a hurricane might come through and you might need that stuff. So that's what they're talking about. You make provision in case it's needed. You know what? That God made provision for us with the cross of Jesus Christ, not just in case it was needed, because he knew it was going to be needed. So let's act like that his provision has been sufficient. It was enough. So I don't have to beat myself up. I don't have to listen to you beat yourself up. And I'm sure not going to beat you up. Let's make this a safe group of people. We don't criticize and beat up one another. Not behind each other's backs. Not through email. Not through forums. It's amazing how rude sometimes people are online. How about we live above reproach online? And say things to people we'd only say to their face. Amen. Does that sound like a good practice? It sure it does. Sure it does. Of course, you guys are never online, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Let me ask you. If you're wanting to know, well, I think I don't really walk in reproach. Let me ask you this. How much peace do you have in your heart? How much love and how much joy is there? If you are facing any kind of a faith challenge any kind of a need that you have in your life. You need to believe God for a miracle. How much confidence is inside that God's going to give it to you? Or is there something nagging away at you? Well, maybe not this time. You see, the love of God, if we will know and believe the love of God, it will cause us to be in a free place. Oh, well, God said it. It's the easiest thing in the world to believe what God said. It's completely easy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's live above reproach and let's live free of reproach. Hallelujah. The solution, folks, is believing in the love of God. It's believing that God loves you and what he did was enough. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask, Lord God, that you give each one of us a revelation to live above and free from reproach. And that, Lord God, to know that your word is true. We thank you, Lord God, for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have welcomed us into your presence, that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers, that, Lord God, that you have brought us into your family because you loved us, because you wanted us, because you chose us. 
and that, Lord God, we're not there to, to hang our heads down and call ourselves unworthy, but, Lord God, to hold our heads up high as sons and daughters of Almighty God and say we have a right to stand in your presence because of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So I ask Holy Spirit that you continue to work with each one of us and bring us into greater measures of freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. For more information about teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.